right, welcome in, welcome aboard. Seth Goldberg with you here on another episode of a show to be named later. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for finding us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, the new radio.com app, wherever you may find this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Follow along on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports, on Twitter, Seth Goldberg17. And of course, subscribe. You'll get these podcasts straight to you each and every time we drop a new episode. Have a, a fun one for you today. Talked with former Major League pitcher, former Yankee pitcher Tanyan Sturtz. So we'll hear from him coming up in a little bit. And also, the NFL preseason is is going on, and it's gone on long enough, if we're being quite honest. Uh, we'll talk about the NFL preseason, player safety, and what happened earlier in the week uh, with a game in Winnipeg, Canada. Strange stuff. We'll talk about that coming up. But first, here on a show to be named later, former Major League pitcher Tanyan Sturtz joining me. Coming up now. And now, as promised, we are joined by former Major Leaguer, former Yankee pitcher Tanyan Sturtz here on the show. Uh, Tanyan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I want to start off here before we dive into the Yankees and, and some of your baseball career. I hear you have a three-year-old son who can absolutely rake. So uh, t- <laughs> tell me that story. Uh, that's funny. Well, he definitely can rake, but he wears out my arm because uh, I have to throw to him every single day in the backyard. So... Uh, as soon as he gets out of school, he wants to come home and grab his bat and the balls and go right to the backyard and start hitting. So, which is a good thing, but, uh, you know, it gets a little tiresome for me. But, yeah, he he hits the ball pretty good for a three-year-old. So you're throwing just as much as you were, you know, when, when you were playing. You're throwing all the time. Yeah, except right now they're underhand. So, you know, he's only three, so only underhand, flipping them to him, so which is great. That's awesome. He's going to be ready uh, for, for T-ball and organized ball for sure. Uh, no doubt <laughs> about that one. Uh, you know, I mentioned you, your time with the Yankees, and I certainly want to talk about that. Um, you know, you, you joined the team in 04, and that's a really interesting team for a lot of reasons. Coming off the World Series, of course, the ALCS at the end of the year, um, and just everything in between. What was it like when you joined the Yankees, when, when you got that call that, like, hey, you're going to go to New York? Yeah, so I actually got traded. I was with the Dodgers. I was in AAA in Las Vegas, and um, I knew, uh, I think one of their stars had just come down, and I was starting in Las Vegas, so uh, I knew that they were trying to make a trade to uh, pick me up, and um, of course, I was excited to come back east. Um, my family's from Boston, so I always wanted to be back in the east, to be close to home, and, uh, you know, having the opportunity, obviously, to walk into the locker room with the Yankees was uh, was probably the best thing that probably could happen. Uh, you mentioned you're from Boston. Was that ever an issue? I, I mean, you guys had a, a couple of battles those years. Was it ever an issue, Steph? It's still an issue, Seth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> does that ever go away? I don't think that ever goes away when it's Yankees-Boston. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. And, and you know, two of those moments are, are two of the things that I have written down that I wanted to get to with you. Um, you're on the mound when Derek Jeter makes the catch and dives into the stands. Um, what What is going through your mind as, as you watch that unfold? Um, well, first of all, I didn't know if it was going to be fair. Um, second of all, I couldn't believe he just came out of nowhere and grabbed it and then just went flying into the stands. So, um, you know, complete relief uh, once he came flying out of nowhere, uh, you know, because I'm watching the ball to try to see where it's going to go, hoping it's going to go foul. And then all of a sudden you see a blur come through and catch it and go flying into the second row. So I was definitely obviously 
and you know, very happy about it because it was the end of the inning, and uh, we got to go hit. You know, I I noticed this, you know, somewhat recently as well, and this one's probably not as happy a memory for you, but you were right in the middle of the the A Rod Veritek fight. Um, how how did you end up in that position? Yeah, so I uh, I actually started that game. I was the starting pitcher that day, and um, the night before they had hit A Rod a couple times, and we knew that A Rod wasn't very happy about it. And then uh, you know they got him again in his first at bat, and it just kind of happened. And then um, you know everyone kind of came out on the field, and the first person that I got to on the pile happened to be Gabe Kappa. So I kind of just ended up with him and a couple other guys uh, out away from the pile. Is it strange to see like Gabe Kapler now as a manager? You're like I was, I was, you know, getting roughed up by this guy, or I was roughing him up, and and now he's, you know, a little more clean cut and and in that manager mold. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's I think it's great. Um, listen, there's a lot of guys that I can't believe are managers in the big leagues right now, and um, you know, all the power to them. I'm happy that they all got the jobs. It's just it's crazy to see uh, kids that you played with or kids that were really young, like Rocco Baldelli when. I was with the Rays. He he was just a, you know a young kid that came into spring training, and now he uh, you know he has a big league job. So I think it's great. Um, it's just surprising to see uh, how fast things move. Yeah, things certainly move quickly. And and you know getting back to some of the the Yankee Red Sox stuff here, Tanyan. Um, obviously, the teams had played you know twenty six times in '03, and then you come in and they're playing twenty six more times in '04. <laughs> what, what was that like when you're playing somebody so often and you get to know them so much? It it, it seems pretty obvious. That's why sparks would fly. Yeah, you get a little bit sick and tired of seeing the same teams, especially when you're in the same division. Um, you know, especially with a heated rivalry. I don't think there's any better rivalry in any sport than the Yankees-Red Sox. At least back then, I think after 04 when they had won, I think it kind of changed a little bit. They finally got their World Series off their back, and, um, you know, I think tensions kind of calmed down a little bit. But, um, you know, listen, it's a lot of games. It's a lot of trips to Boston. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of time seeing them in New York, and, you know, things always happen throughout series. And then, you know, a, a reaction always happens and, and things just escalate sometimes. You know, I've got to ask you, because growing up as a Yankee fan, there was there was this uh, impression, and maybe it was wrong, that a lot of Yankee, a lot of pitchers would come into the Yankee bullpen not throwing a cutter, uh, and they would leave throwing some version of a cutter. Is, is that accurate? <laughs> well, when you see Mariano dominate so much with just a cutter, I think you have to at least try it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I was fortunate. I, I got to be his throwing partner for the three years that I was there. And, uh, you know, Mike Stanton had just got traded. So he needed a throwing partner, and I kind of moved into that spot. So uh, to play catch with him every day and watch him throw that cut into any spot he wanted to on my body, uh, it kind of just forced me into uh, learning how to throw one. That's pretty incredible. So, so you you know you end up throwing with him every day and you pick up the cutter. What, what else did you learn as, as you're, you know, just playing catch with him? Uh, he, you know, I wasn't really a bullpen guy until I got to New York. So he kind of, uh, you know, he every day after we throw, we'd sit and talk before we'd go shag for BP, and he would just kind of go over things, whatever happened the night before, or how to approach the next pos- the next night. I think Mariano was one of the best guys. It didn't happen often to him, but, you know, whatever happened the night before was over with. It was all about that next day. And once once you get into that mindset, it makes it a little bit easier. Sometimes we end up dwelling on what happened the night before, and it affects that night that we're pitching. 
And uh, once you can get past that and learn how to just block out whatever happened and move to the next night, I think that's when uh, you know things started going well for myself. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and you mentioned you weren't much of a bullpen guy before, and then you know, and all of a sudden in two thousand five, you you make sixty four appearances, sixty three of them uh, out of the pen. Um, I'm curious with that role. You you are a starter. You are a bullpen guy. Um, with the way baseball's gone now, with kind of openers and bulk guys, could could you have seen yourself if you were pitching now, kind of being one of those pitchers who, who's coming in and giving you some length after you know an opener? Geez, I wish I was pitching now. It seems just so much easier. I mean, these starters only have to go five innings. I don't know how many games I've lost in the sixth and seventh innings, uh, especially in 2002. Um, you know, these guys really, they only have to go five, and then their bullpen just comes in and dominates, or at least they come in and pitch. But, um, you know, the game's changed. You know, back when we played, if you were starter, you had to go seventh. And then the eighth and ninth inning guy came. Now, you know, you got, you got those guys locked and loaded down at the bullpen. They come in for the, everyone throws a hundred, and uh, you know they come in, in the sixth inning and they just and the game's over. You see a different guy every inning. Yeah, it's it's an interesting transition, and and I, it it's strange to me. It's happened so quickly, and I know you mentioned that with some of the guys who are managing now and and how fast things have moved. But is that something that struck you? How how quickly some of these changes have happened in baseball? Um, yeah, it, it, um, you could kind of see the, the trend coming. Um, towards the end of my career in 08 and 09, but not not to this much of a, a drastic change. I think that I think that now the game has changed so much, especially on the pitching side, that, um, you know, the starters, they're really, really worried about, like I said, getting to the fifth. Once they get to the fifth, they know they're pretty much done. So, um, you know, if you can cruise the first, second, and third inning, which is the first time around the order, which is usually sometimes, you know, pretty easy to do, you only really got to, get two more innings and you're out of there. So I want to I want to go through a couple of uh, kind of quick hitter questions here for you. Uh, what was your favorite city when you were on the road out and about? I uh, love Chicago. All right. I, I can I can get on board with that. Uh, who, yeah. was, <laughs> who was the guy who was the, the toughest matchup for you as a hitter? Toughest matchup was probably uh, Manny Ramirez. Yeah, that... If Manny, if Manny wanted to get a hit that night... Manny got a hit. If he really buckled down and wanted to get a hit, he was one of the best hitters during the time that I was playing, especially in the American League East. And does that also go into, you know, when you were in the American League East playing them so often? Uh, yeah, they kind of know your tendencies a lot, just as much as you know their tendencies. So, um, you know, I really had a hard time with Manny until I got into the almost by the end of the first year with New York. And then A-Rod kind of brought me into the uh, – into watch a video and uh, Manny had just hit a home run off me off a split finger. That was a pretty good pitch. And he said, you know, what, what do you see? And I said, he hit a good pitch. He goes, yeah, he did hit a good pitch, but he was waiting for that pitch. He goes, so, uh, you know, you need to change it up a little bit. Uh, he knows what, what situations and what pitch counts you're doing. So uh, the next at bat, I think I threw him like 17 fastballs in a row. <laughs> that seems like a, a solid strategy. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I kept looking at Alex over at third base, like, can I throw a split now? Can I throw a split now? He goes, no, fastball, fastball. <laughs> does it, uh, given that story you just told, does it, does it surprise you that, that Alex is, you know, a, a TV analyst and explaining the, the game the way he is? Absolutely not. No. Alex is, Alex is by far one of the smartest guys on the field. No question about it. Uh, always was, always probably will be. Alex sees and knows everything that's going on in the baseball field. He's always been 
unbelievably smart when it comes to to baseball stuff. You know, and and as you know, I'm looking at it, and and his, his turnaround's amazing to to get to the place where he is. But he's always struck me as somebody like you said, who's pretty smart. Do you think he could be a manager if if I mean, if he wanted to? Not that you know he has to do that. Um, do I think he could be? Of course, uh, definitely could be. Do I think he? Should or want to be? I mean, why would he want to be? With look at the gig he has, he pretty much does whatever he wants, right? I mean, listen, you know what people don't understand? It's a great gig to have, but it's a lot of work. You know, it is a lot of work. A lot of these guys played a long time and worked their butts off to, to have their careers, and now you know he has a pretty cushy job doing Sunday night baseball or doing the playoffs and stuff like that. And you know, why would you change that? Oh yeah, I mean it's a grind to to go out on the road 162 games a year, isn't it? Yeah, and listen, you're not counting spring training, so I mean, you know, it's it's almost it's a, it's a long time, and it's, and it's a you got a battle, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. You know, we don't show up at 6:30 at night. You're at the ballpark 11:30, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You leave it at midnight every day. Yeah, long days and uh, and a lot of those long days. Um, you know, Tanya, one, one more of these kind of uh, you know quicker ones, uh, quick hitters, so to speak, to wrap up. Um, who was the guy that you really didn't like when you were pitching against them, and then you you kind of got on a team with them, and you were like, oh, I I like that guy. You know, it, it changed your perception playing with them. Um, I don't think it was really anybody. To answer that question, because when I was playing against it, I, I didn't like anybody that I played against. So, um, you know, it was pretty much everyone, uh, you know, I always went out there kind of pissed off at the world because I knew that that's the way that I had to pitch. If I went out there and was, and was friends with somebody, I wasn't going to do my job. So I kind of stayed a little bit, uh, you know, angry at everybody. Um, but I, was, I always felt like I was a great teammate with everyone. And, um, I always had my teammates' backs, but if I was playing against you, I probably uh, I probably didn't like you much. And, and last one, I mean, you've played with so many guys, and and I'm just thinking, you know, in in the Yankee years, even uh, Mariano Rivera, Mike Mussina, both go in the Hall of Fame. Derek Jeter's gonna be Alex Rodriguez. Um, you know, it wasn't baseball reasons that that he that his candidacy is kind of clouded. Um, and, and there are other guys uh, along the way. Uh, what are you know? What what was kind of the the biggest thing you took away from from playing with some of these guys who you know were were at the the absolute height and you know ultimately making the Hall of Fame? Yeah, listen. I mean, our team that we were on in two thousand five, two thousand. I mean, just crazy. The, the guys that were on those teams, all all stars, all you know, how Hall of Famers. Um, and you know, I, I I personally think Gary Sheffield should be in the Hall of Fame. I really do. And he probably will be at some point. But, um, you know, listen, we had five, six Hall of Famers, you know, Randy Johnson. Everybody was on those teams. So it was pretty amazing to walk into that clubhouse every day and just watch the way that they prepared for each game and the way that they got themselves set up for, obviously, the next start or how they got ready for that game that night. Yeah, it must have been uh, pretty incredible uh, walking through there and seeing some of those faces. Um, I, I certainly remember watching. I, I loved watching you guys play. Um, and it was great talking to you today, Tanya, and really appreciate you taking some time. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll be able to do it again down the road. Yeah, I'd love to. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. That was Tanyan Sturch, former Yankee, former Major League pitcher. Thanks again to Tanyan for taking some time coming on the show. And uh, I want to shift gears now. I want to talk some NFL because we're seeing the NFL preseason play out. We're seeing this game in Winnipeg 
on Thursday night where there is quite literally a hole in the middle of the end zone because the goalpost had to be moved back and it got filled in, but it didn't quite get filled in well enough in one end zone. And so it was questionable. And all of a sudden they're playing with the, the goal line really is the 10 yard line. And it's just a mess. They're playing on an 80 yard field, the 10 yard line serving as a goal line. It's confusing. It's messy. It's not a good look. And it brings up a question that really the preseason brings up in and of itself. But it brings up this idea to me that the NFL doesn't really care about player safety, doesn't really care about the well-being of their players. And to me, this is an example of look at what they actually do and not look at what the words say that they are putting out there, whether they're saying them or releasing them in a statement. Don't look at their words, look at their actions. And to me, the actions say that the NFL simply does not care about player safety. If they did, they would cut down the preseason. If they did, they wouldn't have had field issues three years in a row. You go back three years ago, and it was the Hall of Fame game, where that field just was not ready to play. Thankfully, the NFL canceled the game. You go back to last year, that field in Mexico City, not ready to go, not up to quality. Thankfully, they moved that game. This year, though, one team, the Bengals, practicing in Dayton, where a field was not up to NFL standards, they went through with it anyway. And then last night in Winnipeg, that field was not up to NFL standards. And yet they tried to make the most of it. They tried to play around with it. And they went through with that game anyway. So four different instances over three years that fields that the NFL was supposed to use were not up to NFL standards. And to me, that's about four times too many. Thankfully... In two of the four instances, they just said, you know what? We're not playing on this field. That's a good thing. I'm glad the NFL did that. But how about the two instances this year? In Dayton and in Winnipeg, where they did play on those two fields that were not up to NFL caliber. That's an issue. And then you get to the idea of the preseason in general. Preseason football in 2019 is not necessary. Or maybe I should say not necessary in its current form. Is there a need for some preseason football? Maybe. You can get a game or two games, and I think that would be more than enough. But there's not a need for four NFL preseason games. Now, I've heard this idea thrown out there a lot, and I think it's a really interesting point. And I'm sorry that I don't remember who the first person who I heard say it, but the most recent that I heard is Bob Wischusen from ESPN and the New York Jets. And he said, you know what? Back in the day, players needed preseason football. That was how they got into shape. They showed up at training camp. They were kind of sort of in shape. They went through four preseason games. They really played in all four of these preseason games, and they worked their way into shape. But here's the reality of this. That's not necessary anymore. That's not necessary anymore. These athletes are not playing their way into shape. These athletes 
are not coming to training camp, for the most part, out of shape. They are year-round training to be ready for week one. I don't need Eli Manning playing off the offseason weight and getting four games of reps in before hitting the field week one against Dallas. Right? That's not necessary anymore. These guys are in better shape than they were in the 70s or the 80s. They take care of their bodies better. They're smarter about what they put in their bodies. Well, some of them. Generally speaking, though, they stay in better shape than athletes used to. And that's a good thing. But it also means that they don't need these four games to get you ready. To get themselves ready, really. So what do you do? You have to cut down on these games. You have to remove some of these games. Because they're just so unnecessary. There's just no reason for them. Cut it down to two. Cut it down to one for all I care. Whatever it is, though, they've got to make a change. Because it used to be, even in more modern years... It used to be that you play maybe a series in week one. You play maybe a quarter, maybe a half a quarter in week two. And then week three is the real dress rehearsal in the preseason. You play like three quarters of the game. You really get the blood flow and you really get things going. And then week four, you don't really play at all. But more and more is the trend. And I can't say I blame coaches for this because I think that it's actually quite smart. More and more is the trend that... There is no rehearsal. There is no dress rehearsal. There is no run-through. There is no three-quarters of a preseason game three. Because it's unnecessary. Because it's an extra injury risk. Because it's just not that important. And I think that we're seeing that more and more with the NFL now. So it's time to make a change. These players don't need preseason games. The coaches don't want them in preseason games. So let's cut them down. Let's make a couple so that those guys on the back end of the roster can make their case, can go out and show what they can do in a game situation. Let's give them a game or two to go do that. But I don't need four of them. And to circle back to the original point, yeah, it started with field conditions. It started with a hole in the end zone in Winnipeg and with a field in Dayton and a field in Canton being an issue. All of these preseason events, by the way. But how about the idea that we just don't need these athletes going at relatively full speed in extra four weeks? Like, maybe that'll help them out in the regular season. Maybe some of the wear and tear that we see won't be quite as obvious if they don't have four more weeks of it on their body. Football is a violent, violent sport. So taking your best players off the field for four weeks should only help them. That should only make things a little easier on them. And if it means we see more of the best players in the game because we have fewer preseason games and fewer chances for injury and more chances to keep these guys safe, I am all for it. All for it. So that does it for us today here on a show to be named later. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Tanya Sturts, former MLB pitcher, former Yankee pitcher, for joining us on the show. 
Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, on the Radio.com app, and on SoundCloud. You'll get those delivered straight to your phone each and every time. Follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17. Like my page on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports, and you'll get these podcasts delivered straight to your phone each and every time. Thanks again for joining us here on a show to be named later. Enjoy the weekend. Talk to you again soon here on a show to be named later.